Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. And I'm Sam. Sam, how are you? I'm doing all right, Don. How are you? I'm well and dandy. I'm trying to achieve hunky-dory. Hunky-dory. I think I'm going to get there. That's that's one of those high levels. <laughs> that's a high level. Or is that a very low level? No, hunky-dory is up there, man. That's up there. Okay, okay. <laughs> Did you, uh, so, so I understand you went to, uh, to Akron recently. To Did Akron. that, like, help with this hunky-doriness? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, made me grateful. Uh, so yeah, I think part of being hunky dory is being grateful. All right, it was. I would recommend anyone who can get there to go to Akron and go to the intergroup. The intergroup there has all kinds of paraphernalia from the early days of AA. Cool. We went to uh, Saint Ignatius Chapel, not Saint uh, Sister Sister Ignatius Chapel. She is nothing less than a saint, I think Bill <laughs> says in some place. Hey, to put up with a bunch of alcoholics like she did. And, you, and with Dr. Bob there at um, huh? St. Thomas Hospital, okay. you can feel, I don't know, it was like it brought it, it made it real for me, the, the energy of, it, it was she and Dr. Bob, which everyone who came into AA went into that hospital. They had to meet with her first. She'd give them a talking to and put them in a, a room, she said one of the first times that she had put this guy in a two-bedroom ward, these were alcoholics. Most hospitals would not let an alcoholic into the hospital because you can't do anything for them. Right. And put, if they had them, they put them on a big ward. And she felt like she said that she was doing really well to give them a two, put them in a two-bed room. And Dr. Bob said, can you move him and put him uh, in a room by himself? We got some guys coming up and are going to talk to him. So she found this uh, single room. It's called the flower room. And that's where they would put flower arrangements together. And, and also, she said, there are times that they would put a corpse in there on the, before they, if they were like moving it down to the morgue in the basement, they'd store a corpse in there. And she thought that was a good message for the new AAs. And we went to Dr. Bob's house. And, uh, and you, sat, you sat at the table, right? Sat at the table where AA really started was Dr. Bob and Bill sitting at that kitchen table. Bill lived in that house for months when he helped Dr. Bob get sober. Uh And they keep a continuous coffee pot on. You can get a mug that says, I drank at Dr. Bob's. And you did. (laughs) I had a cup of coffee. I was going to lift a doorknob. I thought I'd steal a doorknob <laughs> and give it to my sponsor. And, you know, he yeah. said he could use it as his higher power if I did. Oh. But <clears throat> they have a camera. Well, they didn't have a camera there, but they had a, a, a camera on at the ceiling at the intergroup that said, in case your steps are not working, 
We're oh. watching. Oh. <laughs> oh, that is rich. Yeah, man. <laughs> I love... I'm kind of thinking maybe the, some of the local clubhouses could put that up. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, but it was quite an experience. It made it all very real. Dr. Bob's house is a real... Uh, it was emotional to to be there because they have set it up. They've acquired a whole bunch of the original furniture. They've got the original wallpaper. You know, I'm a house painter. They did tests of the paint and discovered the original green that it was painted at the time that Dr. Bob was there. And you said that they found one of his liquor bottles, didn't you? They found an empty liquor bottle when they were renovating and tore apart a chest of drawers. <laughs> and there was an empty liquor bottle in there. So, yeah, he really did drink. There's uh, there's just a whole wealth of stuff. Like what an that. experience. They have a Bible uh, on display in the living room next to the easy chair there that... Uh, was Dr. Bob's Bible, and it's highlighted in James where it says, faith without works is dead. Uh-huh. That was an important line for him. Absolutely. So you could feel all that stuff being there. Oh, it's great. I love it. The way you're on fire about it, really, I, I, uh, I can't wait to get there. Kevin, who was a, a guest on the show a while ago, former uh-huh. sponsee of mine, uh-huh. um, lives up there. So I've got I've to get a road trip gone. So well, going the, you got to... Reason to be there now besides this, and you're going to have a treat if you go. It's, that would be awesome. Yeah. So I um, I hear we got a guest. We do have a guest. Introduce yourself. Hey, this is Paul. I'm and, glad uh, you came. Thrilled to have you, Paul. That is fantastic. I have a Dr. Bob uh, experience myself. Uh, uh, oh, really? Yeah. We uh, A guy named Motor, who's in the program, says, look, I just got a great deal on a motorcycle in Detroit and you just retired about a month ago can you ride up to Detroit we'll pick it up and come back and I said sure so we jump in his truck on a Thursday and start up there and I said aren't we going through Ohio and he goes yeah I said well um maybe we can go by Dr. Bob's house in Akron and he goes well we don't really go anywhere near that I said all right well I understood well we were in Ohio, and it was my turn to drive, and the GPS, I said, look, we're coming into Akron. What do you think? He says, can't believe it. So he programmed it in. I mean, we have a motorcycle trailer behind us, bouncing all over those cobble streets. <laughs> yeah, and, that uh, street is uh, brick. It is. Yeah. Is it brick? Yeah. Well, it not, not it's eight rough. Eight o'clock at night, we pull up to Dr. Bob's, and there's a place across the street that sells t-shirts for only seven dollars but they're two years old t-shirts but they were closed he sells them out of his garage and then we walked up to dr bob's house and we saw the hours i think they close around five where they're eight at night but we sure did take a lot of pictures up on the steps mm-hmm. and everything and we talked about our experience in aa to dr bob even though he we couldn't see him but uh I thought he might be able to hear us and uh, yeah. how much it meant to us for, for what he had done for us. Because, you know, I tried everything I've ever done. I've tried everything to try to get sober, and I never could. And that's why when I pick up my yearly chip, I always say, I want to thank everybody here that either put away a chair, made a cup of coffee, spoke up in a meeting, because that's the only reason I'm sober today. It's not about me. It's about the program of AA. Yeah, it's all it's all those people who came before and and Bill and Doctor Bob. I could really feel that. Uh, 
I think that's why I got emotional with it was because it was like, none of this would be here. None of this would be. And it's so important to my life. It changed my life and saved my life. And also, uh, Moda said he thinks it was a God experience because uh, after we picked up the motorcycle, we typed in the same address that we left from, and it took us a totally different route. <laughs> you were supposed, you're <laughs> you know, supposed to go back. by Dr. Bob's. And, Love uh, it. I said, you know, maybe that, maybe I needed this. I know you got a lot of sobriety, Moda, but, you know, I'm, I'm still holding on. So, uh, Well, when, was, when did you get sober? I got October 17th of 05 i came into the program in october 17th of 03 and i uh your la- but your last but i last I did, time in was 05 i misread the book the book said you have to have a desire to stop drinking you don't have to stop right away so what i did was <laughs> i kept practicing and uh, I didn't get a sponsor. Well, I did get a sponsor. I got a lady for a sponsor. And um, she kept telling me she's not my sponsor, but she sure did like riding on my motorcycle. And then eventually I found her a motorcycle and put it together and got her riding. And the two of us kept riding and went from meeting to meeting. And after she went on home, I went by the bar to explain to everybody how much fun I had. And, you know, the guys would say, I think you're defeating the purpose by coming by the bar after the meet. And I said, <laughs> no, I got that desire. And one day it might work. And what happened was... Yeah, you go to the bar and drink. Yeah. Yeah. Because there were such nice people in AA. That's why I kept coming back. And they kept inviting me. It was attractive. And, yeah, that's attractive. And every time I gave out the chips, I messed it up. But nobody ever said anything. You know, you just do the best you can in there. They accept you the way you are, not the way they want you to be. You, so you had a desire to quit drinking, but you had a larger desire to drink. I had a desire to stop drinking. I just didn't want to work the program. My wife had a real big desire for me to stop drinking, and my family did. <laughs> yeah. But I went to the meetings like I said I would. And I went like I'd pick up a 30-day chip a couple of times and stuff like that. But what happened is the first two days I was in the uh, first two weeks I was in AA, I got my first DUI. And it, I had to call a guy and say, hey, man, there's a chance you can give me a ride to the, to the meeting. I got a DUI. And that, that's what all my buddies told me was, Paul, whatever you do, don't get a DUI. You can't get out of it. I, I talked to my wife and everything, and I thought I was going to lose my job and all that kind of stuff. But instead, there is a way to get out of a DUI. We just had to postpone it a couple of times. Well, since I was going to get out of it, I thought it'd be a good idea to go to Daytona Beach with all my drinking buddies, and I wasn't going to drink because I had my 30 days. I might have had 90 days then. And you I were said, feeling confident. I did. So my first, the first bar we went to, my bar bill was only $2.50. I had nine cups of coffee, and I tipped the lady. I gave her 20 told her to keep it. I mean, I did use her stool there the whole time. And then the next day we ate, we were there. I think I had 11 O'Doul's, and uh, they just don't work. I no, mean, they, they don't work. It, it, after your second one, you really don't want one. I mean, you'd much rather switch over to Mountain Dew, at least get the, the caffeine or the sugar buzz. But anyhow, uh, I saw this great sign that says, buy a T-shirt and you get a free beer. And I looked at that sign and I thought to myself, if I go in there for the right reason, 
I would. Um, <laughs> it's okay. So uh, I went in to get all my. This is your thinking. I don't think you ran this by your sponsor, did you? <laughs> well, I was sponsoring myself. Yeah, well, that's, that's why I wasn't a very. That's the worst sponsor <laughs> you can have. When you sponsor yourself you and you say self, what do you think? And then I went. I'm going in for the right reason. And I helped. <laughs> I helped them close down that t-shirt shop. <laughs> And I was so drunk, I ran into a guy, I don't want to say his name, but he was a very wealthy man, and Leonard Skinner was playing, and uh, it was $300 to get in to hang out with Leonard Skinner, and I went from, I think the, the beer she had on tap was, I don't know what it was, but it was one of those real potent beers that are cheap, and I went in there with this guy, and there was Leonard Skinner, not Leonard Skinner himself, but the Leonard Skinner band was there. I was drinking Heinegans and everything, and the three guys I was with were out there in front of the stage going, man, I don't know what happened to Paul. He's going to miss everything. <laughs> well, since I was with, we all walked out onto stage, and then we had our special seats we could sit in. And I was, I'd had, I was a very good alcoholic because I could drink so much and still stand. So I walk out, and those guys are looking at me, hey, there's Paul. Well, the only problem with that is, after the concert, I went out to get on my motorcycle, and they didn't all look the same. And I couldn't <laughs> find my bike. There's a row at Daytona Beach on Bike Week. There's rows and rows of motorcycles. And thank goodness I found someone that could help me get back to the hotel room. And then the next morning, everybody jumped up at 7 o'clock. It was going to Sunday morning. They got to be work Monday. So everybody jumped up and I was throwing up. I was hungover. I was hurting. And I did the old prayer. God, if you only help me this time, I won't never drink again. And God said, Paul, you better get a sponsor this time and work the program. I said, that's fine. But help me get home. And I drive about 100 miles. I throw up. I put my face on the side of my gas tank to cool my head down from sweating. That was the longest 530 miles back to the house. Uh. And then the, that Monday morning, I mean, I went to work. And then Monday night, I went up to a guy. and His name was Chuck. And I said, um, Chuck, would you be my sponsor? And you see, I purposely got Chuck because he was a lawyer and I was just a glazer putting in glass. And I had absolutely nothing in common with him but the program. And he told me, he says, Paul, whatever you do, you got to get honest with yourself. That's how this program works. Until you can get honest with yourself, you, can't, you, you won't get it. And I said, I'm willing to do whatever you want. So we started working the program, the first step, the second step. I was on the third step. And, and things started working out so great for me. And, and I was happy, and I, I quit telling stories or just instead of making stuff up, I told the truth. And all of a sudden— Was um, that hard to, hard to do? It was, because sometimes I would tell a story when, when it wasn't even necessary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I would—or uh, or totally take a small bit of truth and make it into a large— and I always wanted to be the hero. Mm -hmm. And one thing Chuck did teach me, and it's one of the hardest things you want to learn in AA, is being humble. Once you get that, the rest falls in place. And Chuck taught me how to get honest with myself. You know, I went in. He's a good sponsor then. 
Yeah, he's my sponsor. I went into that courtroom, and the policeman wasn't there. And they said that they might want to postpone it since the policeman didn't show up. And I knew why the policeman didn't show up. But I, um, I turned to my lawyer, who knew nothing about this, and said, um, just tell him I did it. He goes, man, the policeman's not here. You might be able to get out of this. I said, I don't want to get out of it. Just get me the best deal you can get me. But I did it because I did do it. He goes, are you sure? I said, yeah. So he went up and said, look, I know the policeman isn't here, but he wants to plead guilty. And I got a level five. And uh, What does that mean? Level five is probably the, the, the best one you could get. You had to do community service. And you had to pay fines, and you had a restricted driver's license. And what happened to me was— But you were willing to do it. I was. I mean, I was so excited because I realized that matter whatever they did to me at that time was all they could do. And if you say you did it and you are honest and they gave you your punishment as long as you did your punishment— then all that weight was lifted off your shoulders. I was tired of lying mm -hmm. and being mm -hmm. deceiving and um, and manipulating and wondering if eventually they could find out how I got out of the DUI or, or all this. In other words, it was really the first time, and I didn't realize this because I always thought I was a really nice person, a, a good person. I didn't realize I was a sick person. Yeah. And um, and I got in my car. It feels like that all that... Um that the lies and the, the changing the story and trying to get into like you're really, that that's easy, but actually it weighs on you. It really does weigh on you. It gives you, it has free rent in your head. Yeah. And, and then just, that's what, that's what I would think about. And that's what I would drink at is that feeling of shame and of stuff I had done, lies I had told and continued to tell. It's a lot to keep up with and, and also ducking people that you don't want to deal with and things like that. There's a lot to there's a lot of work involved in being a drunk. Yeah, there there was a store that I stole some stuff from. Every time I'd see that store, I'd, I don't want to I'd get on the other side of the block, <laughs> walk, you know, just try and avoid it. And it's like trying to avoid my life and just getting drunk to get out of my life is what it ends up being. So that's why I think that we say it's easier, softer way. I, uh, when I left that courthouse, I went straight to where they told me to go to sign up for community service. And I walked in and said, my name's Paul, and I'm here to sign up for my community service. And that lady looked at me and looked at the computer and kept looking at the computer and said, I don't see your name on here. She said, when did you... When did you get convicted? I said, about an hour ago. <laughs> she said, you better come back in two or three days. We don't work quite that fast. And like you said, all I want to do is the next right thing. Mm -hmm. I, wanted, I wanted to make it a, the only, the only, I didn't think I hurt anybody. Because who do you got to make an amends to? I mean, you know, I just didn't think I was that bad of a person. But I hurt anybody that cared anything about me. And the first people that I made amends to was my two sons and my wife. And I wanted to make a living amends to them. I told them I was going to work this program to the best of my ability. And that's really, at that time, that's all I had to give.
Yeah. And I started doing it and things started getting better. And, um, you know, uh, I thought that when I told them at work, you know, I got that DUI, they knew that. And I also told her that I was going to get out of it. And she was glad about that because she said, you can't drive a company vehicle with a DUI. Mm-hmm. And I said, I understood. But all that didn't matter. I walked in and I told her, I said, look, I got convicted of a DUI because I did it. And I'm going to AA and I'm going to get better. And she got so mad. She says, now I got to hire someone to carry your ass around. So not, uh, so in May, I retired from that company with 40 years of putting in glass. 40 years of it. And it, and it, it was something. I mean, you know. Uh, you were and, on, you, you really jumped into the program once you made that decision. Once I made that, once I got back from Daytona and I made that decision and Chuck got a hold of me. And uh, I wish I worked the program better. Like I used to call them every day and go to, I went to 90 or went to 100 and some meetings and worked and everything because I was so afraid of losing this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, when you first come in, there's a lot to do. <laughs> For one thing, I would get relief just going to the meeting. You know, that doesn't happen to me so much now that I need to go to a meeting to get relief from the world. But it was the case then in the first, oh, God, I guess definitely 90 days. Mm -hmm. I needed relief from wanting to drink. And I would get that relief when I went to the meeting. So, you know, when that pressure lets go a little bit, I don't have to go every single day, three times a day, like I was at the beginning. I'm not going today uh, being pushed by pain. Right. That's right. I'm going today because there's something about going to meetings that pulls me. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that uh, you don't actually have to go to a meeting, an organized meeting. If you got four or five of your friends and you're all in AA and you get on your motorcycles and you ride to motorcycle bike night at Ted's Kicking Chicken and all of a sudden uh, you're sitting there and there's people drinking and everything and you're at a table and uh, there's six of you and you're just laughing and having a good time and I and you had you have a guy like Motor and Freebird and Cream Puff and all those guys there and poor old uh, Freebird was telling the story about well I bet I can't tell that part but he was telling the story <laughs> and it was so funny we started laughing and the guy that owns the place went up to the waitress and said hey you need to cut them off <laughs> and uh she oh, said great. they're not drinking anything but iced tea she says well put them in a to-go cup and tell them take it outside because we were so crazy we we got that oh, monkey wow. off our back but the circus was still in town yeah right and we were up there looking at motorcycles no we didn't tear up our bikes and do burnouts like we used to and and double digits over the speed limit and stuff like that but we love watching other people do that and that's well, you were destructive, but yeah. you were happy. We were so happy. I the love one time that. I was going up there with a couple other people, and some poor guy walking down the road with a 12 pack I still think it was a 12 pack in his hand got hit by a car. Huh. And we came up on it. 
And we passed it and went on to Ted's. And when we sat down, I said, did you see the handle on that 12-pack? He still had it. That's cardboard. They must have knocked him 10 feet, and he still had a hole of that handle. And then um, Moda says, no, I think that was an 18-pack. You know, they come out. That's so crazy. We passed a guy that got hit by a car, and all we looked at was the 12-pack or the 18-pack of beer and how well the handles uh, stood up. <laughs> what a bunch of sick people. That's sick, yeah. you know? Yeah. But uh, well, Let me ask you, did you think when you quit drinking that you weren't going to have any fun anymore? No, I knew I was going to have fun because I'd already been in AA two years, and I was having a blast in AA, even though I was drinking. I hung around with some of the greatest people. And I felt bad when I left them and they couldn't go have a beer with me. But, you know, uh, <laughs> we'd go out riding the Blue Ridge Parkway and everything, and then everybody would See, split you were, up. You were, you were attracted to AA, by the way. I loved AA. Yeah. I still love AA today. Yeah. And one time I was uh, with a guy from Fellowship Hall. His first name was Reed. Uh, Reed goes, well, Paul, how's it going? I said, well, Reed, I just don't get it. He says, what part don't you get? I said, the not drinking part. <laughs> and he said, Paul, you just keep coming back. He didn't <laughs> give me a lecture on anything. He told me to just keep coming back. Because, you know, a head full of AA will never work with a belly full of beer. It did. The more I drank and the more AA meetings I went, the less I wanted to drink. The less, it took all the fun out of it. Mm -hmm. What was the last time you drank? What was that? Why was that the last time you drank? It was Daytona Beach at a Leonard Skinner concert. That was the last time. <laughs> that was the and last that, that time. On that ride back. Oh, that was it. On the gotcha. ride back. But I didn't pick up the chick chip then because uh, I didn't know. You did know pick up a chip? I didn't. I wasn't Chip, but what about the chick? <laughs> Are you leaving the chick out or was there not a chick? There was a chick. And, uh, <laughs> okay, let's Don, go. Can, Here's Don asking if, the hard if, questions, man. I didn't think. <laughs> <laughs> There's more went on in Daytona Beach. <laughs> but uh and when I'm around, I'm not on the air. If you ever want to hear the the really wild story how I got home. No, nah, I'm only kidding you guys. <laughs> but uh no, it's um the chip. Let's go, but let's get I didn't serious. pick up a chip because I wasn't sure I was gonna stop drinking. Yeah, I've failed I so that. many times I was a failure. And they say there is no failures in AA. There is people that don't make it back, but there's no failures in AA. So um Chuck brought me through the program, and what Chuck did for me, and I don't know how other people do it, is that it's not written in stone, the program in AA. When you do your steps and everything like that, you got to do them to the best of your ability. It's not written in stone. You better fill out this form. You better have this many things written down. Mm -hmm. You better do this. You, you don't have to do, do that. it perfectly. You, don't, you don't have the ability to do it perfectly the first time. You know, I'd be at work, and I'd be so mad because I like being on time, and I'm running late, and, and, and you know, customers are calling and want to know where I am and everything. So I called Chuck, and I said, let's see if this AA business is going to work. So I said, Chuck. Man, I'm so mad. Man, I'm running late, and people call me. The boss wants to know what the problem is. He goes, Paul, you got a radio in that truck? And I said, yeah. He said, well, just put your radio on. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. So I put the radio on. And I talked, you know, I go down the road, talk, discussing how stupid that was. But after a while, 
It went away. I thought he was going to solve my problem. I thought he was going to give me this words of wisdom. It's kind of like, um, you know. <laughs> and the you, words you, of wisdom were turn your radio on. Just turn your radio on. <laughs> I, I thought that when you call your sponsor, he has all the answers. And he doesn't. He just gives you a different state of mind. It's kind of like if yes, you call. Yes, that's good. Personal opinion is you call me and say you got a drink. I'd say, well. If you really have to, then you just haven't had enough pain. Because when the pain of drinking becomes greater than the pain of stopping, you'll stop. But let's just take a minute and fast forward the tape. Okay, you go ahead and drink. Now you're flat busted broke. You don't have the money to give your kids for lunch money in the morning. Your wife's mad at you. Your head's pounding. you got to call in sick from work. Are you ready to go? Let me buy you that first drink. That's... Yeah, you think it's hard to stop at the first drink. Try the second one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's really, you know, oh, my goodness gracious. And, uh, you know, my dad was an alcoholic and um, kind of got thrown out of Boston a little bit and thrown out of Tennessee. And then he finally, uh, he's a very intelligent man with a high, very high-paying job and everything. But, you know, he retired and my mom died in Ireland. And he came to me and he says, Paul, you know, my sister called me and said, listen, you need to take him because you know about AA and he needs help. And I said, all right. So I called him up. And I said, hey, Dad, why don't you come on and live in Greensboro? And he says, well, I got a dentist appointment. And after that, I'll be on my way. So he loaded up that big Crown Victoria and headed my way. Came in and got one of these places uh, with the uh, assistant living. You know, we have mm-hmm. your own apartment, but they supply the food and everything like that. And I ended up picking up him every day for 90 days, taking him to meetings. He went to the uh, rehab center in Johnson City for rehab. And then he went to Salisbury for rehab. And then I kept taking him to meetings. And finally he said, Paul, I don't want to stop drinking. I appreciate you keep taking me to these meetings and stuff like that, but I just don't want to stop. So I said, all right. He called me because he lost his license. He said, hey, Paul, you take me to Walgreens? And I said, sure, because I thought we were going for a prescription. So I take him to Walgreens. He's loading up his cart with three or four gallon bottles of wine and all this kind of beer and all this kind of stuff. I said, Dad, what about your prescription? He goes, oh, it ain't going to be ready till tomorrow. I said, oh, okay. So anyhow, then he then the next thing. He didn't have a car, so he's usually. He didn't have a car, but he sure had me. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing. He says, hey, Paul, you mind taking me to church? And, you know, we're Catholic, and we always go to church on Sunday. He says, you know, you think we can go to 5 o'clock Mass? A couple of the other guys want to go to Mass, too. I said, yeah, Dad, sure. You know, we're making headway here. Well, I didn't realize that the liquor store is open after the 5 o'clock Mass, and you got to go right past it, go back to his place. So we'd go to Mass. I'd pick up, sometimes I'd have one, sometimes I'd have two guys. I don't even know if they were Catholics, because they got all mixed up about the kneeling and the standing and stuff. <laughs> they jumped in the car, and they had their walkers, and they said, Hey, Bob, I'm going to take me by the ABC store. I said, Well, Dad, as long as you can walk in and get it, yeah. You know, you can do it. So I'd take them by the ABC store. Now, I would get all the walkers out of the trunk, but that was selfish because I didn't want them to beat the side of my car in. So they'd carry it out of the store in their little bags, and they they had it all figured out. And I'd put it in the trunk, and 
they'd say stuff like, oh, God love you. Oh, you got the greatest <laughs> son in the world and all that other stuff. I take him back to the old folks' home. And um, did he ever unloaded. get sober? He did. When he died, he was, he, he died, and he uh, we buried him in Boston, where we're from. You mean he? Are you saying he didn't get sober? Well, let me tell you what. Oh, okay. Okay. He died, and we went out on Cape Cod to bury him where my mother was. And after the service, I lifted up the lid, and I stuck a start over chip in his hand. I said, Dad, you finally got your sobriety date. So I guess yeah. he's still buried with that start over chip. And that was a good one. That was my last start over chip. Yeah. So, yeah, he's got his sobriety he's date and his death. <laughs> and the, the day he died yeah. was different than the, his sobriety date, whatever the day was the funeral was. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I recommend What a that. story. He was a good well, guy. You can't he, he, get you can't get somebody sober who doesn't want it. No, yeah. you cannot. You know, no matter you, you, how bad you want it, you, you were talking about having that desire when you first came around. Had the desire, but didn't quit. Had the desire, right. but the desire has to be there. Yeah, he it didn't has have, to. Be. He didn't have the desire. He did not. He says, "I'm I'm 89 years old. I just don't have the desire to quit." Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. Well, that's the way I was. I mean, I guess that's what we can take take from it. I know, you know, my brother drank and he couldn't get sober. I tried like the dickens to get him sober. And I it just didn't it doesn't work if they if they don't want it if they don't somebody doesn't want to do it, there's nothing you can say that's right. And if they want to get sober, there's nothing you can say that's wrong. So it's really coming from the inside. Mm-hmm. And when a person has that desire to quit drinking, even if they're drinking, I love that about about your story, Paul, because even if you're drinking, you, the desire is so strong. Eventually, if you keep coming around, you know, it, it can take. It can suddenly happen. But if you don't have the desire, it's never going to happen. No, the thing is, the reason you take a person to a meeting if they if, even if they don't have the desire or anything, is to see if a seed gets planted. Seed might never be planted, but at least you take them to an AA meeting and take them to a, 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 a meeting or either an open discussion with some real funny people so they get a good laugh here and there because we really laugh mm-hmm. at ourselves, yeah. or a speaker meeter. Because I took a guy to uh, a speaker meeting one time. He said, man, that guy sure had a lot of problems. So I so I talked him into going to two or th- two or three more meetings, and then finally when I called him to take him to a meeting because I was new in the program and I wanted to give this all away. And he right. said, "Look, mm-hmm. Paul, your friends are nice, but they're a bunch of quitters." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. I said, "All right, don't worry about it, man." If, I quit drinking w- poison. <laughs> yeah. If you ever want to get sober, if you ever want to take all that pain and suffering away. Just give me a call. He says, I will, Paul. And I appreciate you taking me to those meetings. You got some nice friends. You mentioned your wife. What is What was it like getting sober for her? What it, well, Did that change? I mean, I know it did with me. My well, family was, was tricky. My wife told me to go to the meetings, and I started going. And then one day, Chuck told me, look, Paul, you really need to get all the alcohol out of your house, or you need to leave. So... I went home, had my chest all perked out and everything because I had like 30 meetings I've been to. 
And I said, Spanky, look, we either need to get all this alcohol out of the house or I got to leave. And she said, well, when are you going? <laughs> I said, wait a minute. She says, you got the problem, not me. And to this day, I got a liquor cabinet. I got beer in the refrigerator. She drinks. And she enjoys, like, her and her friends might have two drinks most and then leave it. You take her. I go to a concert with her, and her second beer it gets warm in her hand, so she throws it out. There you go. That's just not right. And, and some of that beer, I was looking. I don't know why I touched it, but the date's expired. <laughs> so you know, yeah. I said only my friends would come over and drink this and say, "Wait, man, that was good." I ain't never seen nobody look at the date to see if it's expired. Yeah. We got Coronas in it there can expire? that are totally expired. <laughs> and and what it was was I didn't get I didn't stop drinking for her. I didn't stop drinking for my family. I stopped drinking for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the only reason I stopped drinking was for myself. And that's the only reason that you stay stopped. I mean, if, if, if we get sober for someone else, it, it doesn't work. It might work for a little while, but it's not going to yeah. last. Yeah, it, it's possible to get sober for someone else and hang around AA long enough that it takes. <laughs> sure. And then you realize, oh, I've got to do it for me. But yeah. it, unless it turns to that, yeah, I don't know. But my wife drinks, and I've always there's always been alcohol in the house. So I hear you. It is uh, interesting. I do ask that it be a little bit out of sight. So she does that. But it always points out the difference between me and the way that normal people drink. Because she will have half of a beer, and then it'll sit there. And it used to be that she would leave it out. For me to finish <laughs> when I was drinking. Mm-hmm. So sure. I had you know, I asked her, don't ever pour out half a glass of wine. I'll finish that off. We don't want to waste it. Oh uh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> absolutely. You know. <laughs> yeah, but having alcohol in that refrigerator, because I was a beer drinker, it's like I told my wife, I said, you know, it's like having a snake in the refrigerator. I can mm-hmm. keep I can keep reaching in and getting the milk and the various the butter and everything out but one day that thing might bite me she says i sure hope it doesn't (laughs) so that was that having alcohol in the house is something that we don't do um my uh, my husband's sober as well and one of the things that um years ago in a house that we lived in before this one uh we were renting it and the uh the owners had a a bar downstairs in the basement and uh, there you know, was an old fridge down there that was unplugged, a little campus fridge and all that. And there was like, I don't know, six or nine beers in that fridge that were probably out of date. And I realized one night sitting in a sat- Saturday night, sitting in a meeting, that that beer being downstairs in our home was bothering me. Even though we didn't even go down there, it was in the house. And went home and poured it out. And instantly felt better. It was just one of those things of, for me, I don't want it in my house. And so we don't have it in our house. Uh, and all of us are different. I mean, I'm not yeah. making anybody wrong. Um, right. But it was just the awareness uh, that hit me in that moment that that's why I'm feeling uneasy at home. You know, I think that ideally, it's absolutely the case that the best thing for an alcoholic is not to have alcohol in the home. I mean, I think that's absolutely true because that puts the space between the thought of I'm 
I want a drink. At least I've got to get in the car or I've got to go out and I've got to get it. Mm -hmm. And there's no space between opening the refrigerator and open and getting the bottle. I mean, it's right there. So and in that period of time, you know, I like to think that's when God can work. That's when my higher power can step in. And I'm just allowing more time for my higher power to have a chance to step in if I've got to go out of the house to get it. So I think it's best for it to be out of the house if there's any way but i'm the same way i wanted to respect my uh, my wife's wishes too although she didn't tell me well then you can leave <laughs> that's what she said <laughs> well when are you going <laughs> I said, you yeah i was all pumped up you know your sponsor tells you how to do what to say and you come <laughs> busting through that door next thing you know you want to know when you're leaving <laughs> no me I would I would much rather have an alcohol-free house. I mean, you know how people have those signs that on their front yard that say stuff like, uh, we have an alarm system here? Uh-huh. I'd love to have a sign that says, this is an alcoholic-free house. Yeah. yeah. You know, to me. And that way, when friends come over and stuff, they won't, you know, you can have more fun without alcohol. If you want to see what fun is, you come hang out with me one time in the mountains. <laughs> I mean, we have it's an true. absolute bl- One time we were riding to the beach, running 80 in a 55-mile-an-hour zone, and I kind of told the guys, I said, guys, we can't do that. He said, what are they going to do? Just give us a ticket. We don't go to jail no more. We're not drinking. It's just a ticket. <laughs> Speeding's <laughs> not said, that bad. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, but then when I started really thinking about it and working the program of honesty, when I a guy said to me, his name was Frank. He said, "Paul, when you see a sign that has the speed limit on it, that sign is saying, Paul, slow your ass down.' And that's what I needed to do. You don't need to go over the speed limit. You need to run around the speed limit. And and that was fine. I went to Texas to see my son. You know, eighteen hours out there. You know, and we were coming back and." I'm thinking of slow your ass down, slow your ass down, Paul. Do the next right thing. And then my wife fell asleep. As soon as she fell asleep, it was like Smokey and the Bandit, man. I come around every one of those trucks, man. It was like <laughs> wide open. I said, North Carolina, here I come. <laughs> she woke up and wanted to know what the heck is going on here, man. I was passing all these trucks, man. I was, having, I was getting in between them, you know, in case there's a cop. And I come around and... She said, man, you don't need to be smoky in the band. And and I didn't have a Firebird. I didn't have nothing but a Honda Accord. But I was still at four cylinders. That's all she had. <laughs> and then when she woke up all I, I of a sudden. Just, I think it's probably good for us all that you're sober. Because <laughs> I hate to think. You know, I thought, I thought when the guys at work found out that I got a, a DUR and I'm, and I'm going to AA that. They would say something. They were relieved. They said, oh, wow. Whoa, there man, Paul. Man, you come yeah. into work smell like an old beer can, buddy. Whoa, man. You know, what do you got on today? High karate or something like that? You know, I mean, you know, I quit coming in smelling like an old beer can. Because even though you didn't drink that day, oh, it right. stuck around. I, thought, the next I didn't morning, realize that. It, the fumes come it. off you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Because gracious. I can smell it on people. God, I remember a woman at work telling me I smelled like rum. I yeah. just, I didn't know it. You didn't know it. No, it didn't smell like it to me. 
<laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't smell the cigarette smoke either. <laughs> Paul, thanks for being here. We've got an owl who's going to visit us. Watch out. See Ooh. if you can grab it. <laughs> that owl's having some problems, man. It's time for our old timers question. Who you call it an old timer? You, that's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time, Sonny. <laughs> uh, you can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org. We have um, not so much a question as a letter. We, this was really cool to receive. We got a beautiful letter. Yeah, we did. So this is from Karen. And Karen writes, Hi, Don and Sam. I just wanted to write a note of gratitude. I found your podcast somewhat by accident. I was searching for some AA podcasts and have listened to a few. I just did not feel a connection with those podcasts. Your podcasts are funny, entertaining, and very real. I like that you ask your guests questions. Some of those questions are my questions as well. My son has been in recovery for about two years. I have so many things I want to ask him about the disease of the alcoholic, his recovery, the program, so many things. I'm afraid to pry into his sobriety. So by listening to your brave guests, I'm getting some much-needed insight and, most importantly, hope. Thanks again from a grateful mom, Karen. Karen, thank you so much for that, uh, that letter. That one just really hits me in the heart that's um that's beautiful and we're glad we can be a part of that yeah definitely i mean i'm when i read that the first time i've got to admit my eyes welled up just a little bit i I don't think it actually spilled over but it was there was some glistening going on (laughs) (laughs) because it was it's so beautiful to think that uh it can have that effect i don't know what it would be like to have a child in recovery but I like what she's saying about respecting his recovery and, and not wanting to pry into it. It is one of the reasons that we started doing this was that maybe somebody new who wanted to quit drinking could listen to it and get an idea of what AA was like, what's going on in there. Oh, it's a secret, you know, anonymous program is a secret society is the way I felt. And mm-hmm. I was very worried about going to AA and I wanted to learn as much as I could about it. I actually made an appointment with the guy that I went to Akron, Ohio with Mm -hmm. Russ. I knew he was in Alcoholics Anonymous and he, when, when he graduated from law school, his wife had a party and they got, she got a keg. So they had a keg party in the backyard. He didn't drink, but talking about having alcohol and being sober. He was sober. He was laughing, having the best time. I'm drinking at the time, and I'm uh-huh. watching him like a hawk. I'm just like going, is he really happy or is he faking it? I mean, I just couldn't imagine Oh no, not drinking and being happy. And so he, you know, it's attractive. That's who I called, and I, I met with him, but I, I didn't say... I think I'm an alcoholic. I said I want to talk about drinking, and he said, "Oh yeah, let's yeah, we'll meet." And uh, I'm always happy to talk about drinking. I like to do that. So we met at a place, uh, the uh, dessert place, and 
I grilled him about AA, and he answered all the questions. Then we met again to talk about drinking, and I was like trying to, I was hoping he would ask me to go to AA so I could go see what it's like and find out he didn't ask. He just answered questions and talked about, yeah, you know, that's the way drinking was for me. I I did this and that, you know, I used to drink and it was a a compulsion and I couldn't quit. And he described his drinking and he described how he got sober. But he didn't ask me to go. I wanted him to, but he didn't. He wouldn't do it. Finally, I guess about three or four months later, it got to be bad enough that I decided to quit drinking. And I called diff- I called a different guy, and he took me to an AA meeting. I look back on it and think, I don't know if I could do that. Because he knew what was going on with me. Uh-huh. But it was really the right thing to do. Because when I went to AA... It was because I asked to go, I want to quit drinking, tell me how to do it. And if I had gone with him, I know what I would have done because I didn't like AA when I went in because they were talking about God. I know what I would have done is gone, oh, well, he asked me to go and he's just, you know, it wasn't really about me. I was just going for him. I know I would have done that. Mm-hmm question I always ask for somebody new coming in is why are you here? Why did, why did you come? And it's amazing the answers you get. Somebody asked me that question. He knew me and he goes, Don Moore uh, let me, let Mordor me <laughs> Don Mordor <laughs> to use a false last name. Why are you here? And I looked at him and was like going he was like so happy to see me, and it's like, why are you here? I said, well, uh, I had to quit drinking. Drinking was too much. Oh, yeah, how's that? And he just kept asking. He wanted me to talk about surrendering. He, This is what these people in AA do. This is what that uh, my friend Russ was doing. He was like pulling it out. He's not telling me anything. We're he's a getting, crafty lot. Yeah, he's, t- he's getting me to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I went to the library, and there were some pamphlets there. Do you think AA is for you? And things like that. Mm-hmm. And I saw two of them there. I was going, oh, I'll get these. And I picked them up, and I put them down, looked around in case anybody was looking. So I went and got a book that I didn't want and uh, checked it out. Then I went back over to that table and took those two pamphlets and stuck them inside real quick so nobody could see. So you had to get the right size book. Yes, so it would conceal them. <laughs> and so I, and I snuck those pamphlets out because I didn't want anyone to know that I was looking at AA. So, you know, maybe that's a, a good function of this podcast as well for somebody who is curious. It's perfectly okay. Come check it out. AA's safe. You can also come in and... Nobody's going to bite you. Nobody's going to jump on you. Paul, you were talking about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the draws that I have is uh, AA is a spiritual program. It's not a religious program. So the God of your understanding. And uh, I always say it after I talk, no matter where you've been or what you've done, you got the God-given right to be forgiven. And if God will forgive you, why won't you forgive yourself? Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's a good it's, it's point. An yeah. incredible point. 
You know, one of the things that really stands out to me on this, um, the, the respect of, of privacy that, that Karen was talking about with her son stood out to me as well. I do love that this podcast um, is in an, an invitation, if you will, for people to get comfortable with AA before going to AA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have that when I came in, and I was scared to death walking in those doors and one of the things that I want to point out to folks, too, is um, pretty much every meeting that I've ever gone to has offered uh, for temporary sponsorship. They ask people who are present, who are willing to be a temporary sponsor, uh, to raise their hand. And one of the things that I can highly recommend to someone is just, just jump and do it and ask one of those people, to be your temporary sponsor because one of the things that a temporary sponsor is incredibly good at is telling you about AA, how meetings run, what different kinds of meetings. Here's some good ones to check out. Here's how to behave in a meeting. Um, Here's what to expect, all that kind of stuff. Why did that person say that? What are they talking about? All that kind of stuff. So, you know, um, I'm part of this information age thing. I love getting as informed as I possibly can about something before I get into it. And I know there's a lot of other people out there like that too. There's lots that we can do today to get informed. We got a podcast here that talks about AA. We got all kinds of resources on the internet that are written, videos. Hopefully they've got anonymity going on in them, but who knows? Some of them don't. Um, and, uh, and then lots of text. Uh, and on aa.org, every pamphlet, you were talking about pamphlets, Don, every single pamphlet that AA produces is available for free on aa.org. And you know what's really cool? Pamphlets are super easy to read on a mobile phone. <laughs> it's like they're formatted for the, for the size um, so, you know, just clear history <laughs> incognito mode. Don't let anyone know that you were no. Nah. Um, and, uh, you know, and if you think, uh, you got any curiosity about it all, come check us out. Cause, uh, we, uh, we'd love to say hello and we certainly, uh, we want the best for you. That letter was so beautiful though, as well, because, you know, we do this and we're just sitting around the dining room table talking and uh, is anybody listening to this? So it really means a lot when we get a letter like that, either a question for the old timer or a letter such as this thanking us. So thanks so much for writing. Thank you, Karen, very much. Watch out for that owl. Well, I was going to say. Oh, hey, we got someone that we're going to thank here. Thanks, Paul, for coming today riding your motorcycle over here at a reasonable rate of speed was it a reasonable rate of speed uh rode it like i stole it all right <laughs> that's, that's what do no Paul's great getting to know you i bit. did I, I i saw that speed limit sign that says slow your ass down Paul. <laughs> i probably ought to pay attention to that in my bug yeah <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl Podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. 
seven, 10 years ago. That's the one downtown. Yeah, it yeah. was one of the biggest meetings. Well, a guy told me that AA meetings are like a self-cleaning oven. You know, eventually something changes and everybody moves on to something else. It does yeah, tend yeah, to happen. Yeah.